Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, it's good to be here. I uh, retired from the ministry about three years ago, and it was a weird feeling to step down from being a full-time pastor to being uh, a congregant sitting in the sanctuary waiting for the guy to be done. (laughs) So uh, I learned that sometimes pastors think they have a lot to say, but the people can only absorb a little bit. So I hope that you don't leave today thinking, that guy never learned his lesson. Uh, But if you get filled up too soon, just start blowing on your pinwheel that will remind me, and I'm supposed to remind you, that you can do that during the service uh, as, a, as a reminder of what happened on that first Pentecost. So if I see a whole bunch of people uh, blowing, I'll say, I think they got it, Bob. You can go. Well, today is a birthday party, the birthday party of the church. And uh, I didn't know about the pinwheels when I came here until last night, when I got a message from Grace that said it's supposed to emphasize parties during the service. So if we want to be a party church and have a birthday party, what is it that you do at every birthday party? Well, you have cake and you do all the celebration, which we've already done, but you have to tell a story of when someone was born, right? So I don't know if it was just my parents, but they would say, oh, we're here to celebrate Bob's birthday. Let me tell you what happened when he was born. And you'd go crawling away into the corner. So I have to tell this one little story because it leads into the next part. Uh, My parents got married and uh, my mom was pregnant right away. And so it was really exciting. They were both older people. And my dad never put in to add my mom onto her, his insurance policy. So when, he, when they found out she was pregnant and as time went by, realized that the insurance would not be in effect until in July of the following year. And I was due in June. So my parents were sort of poor and so I think my dad prayed, I'm not sure my mom prayed, but they prayed that my birth would be delayed for three weeks past the due date. And that was not fun for my mom, but July 4th was when the insurance would become active and July 7th I was born. So uh, every every birthday I heard that story, so I have to tell you that because My birthday was a time of waiting. My parents waited. Uh, They hoped that it wouldn't cost them a fortune for me to be born. And that leads us into the first Pentecost. They were waiting. In fact, there were two groups that were waiting. And we usually only focus on the first group, 
the group that became the church, but there was a second group that were waiting too. So the first group was waiting in the upper room. They were waiting for the promise that was supposed to be given. They didn't know when it was coming. They said, a, Jesus said a few days. Well, when Jesus says a few days, what does that mean? It means absolutely nothing because a few days to Jesus is, could be lots of time. So Jesus said these few day things right before he went up to heaven. The disciples met back in Jerusalem and they waited and a week went by. Well, is a week a few days? They might have been thinking, wow, I know Jesus talked in metaphors all the time, but I wonder what he really meant. Is it days, weeks, months? So they were waiting expectantly. And they uh, were all together. We were told there's 120 of them in a room. So imagine 120 bodies in a small upper room in a fairly warm Middle Eastern country. So are you getting the picture? They're waiting expectantly. They've done everything they know to do. They've prayed, they've fellowshiped, they've beseeched God, they probably read scripture. And they were waiting for a day that they did not know when would come. But there's another group that's, that, that were waiting. And we usually, we usually skip right over these people because they were waiting for a specific day. They were the Jewish people in Jerusalem waiting for the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. And many of them from around the world had traveled to Jerusalem for Passover. And Passover, of course, was the Passion of Christ occurred. The, uh, they had the Seder meal. They celebrated the time when they got rescued out of Egypt. Then there was the second Jewish holiday that occurred six weeks later, roughly. And uh, so that occurred at the time of Pentecost. And that was, first, it was to celebrate the first harvest, the first of the, uh, the feast of weeks. It was the, when they first got the first uh, harvest from their plantings. But by Jesus' day, it was for something else. It was to celebrate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So at that, um, at that celebration, Pentecost, they would all come together and, and have a birthday party, so to speak, for the renewal of their vows to follow the law. Now, I'd never heard this before. I was a pastor for many years. And as I was studying this passage, I was like, wow, something new every time I open the Bible. So uh, it, was, it was exciting to see two groups of people waiting, waiting for the birth or a birthday, expecting something new to happen, and reminding themselves of what God was like before and renewing their commitment to, who, to, to him. So let's pick up the scripture in Acts chapter 2 to find out when their expectations were fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, sounds like some words from uh, Dr. Seuss, <laughs> Egypt and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask, them, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There was excitement when this occurred not just among the group that had been meeting, the 120 meeting in the house, it was an excitement from the other people, the people that were in Jerusalem, the second group, because they saw something new too. This was a new event that meant something to them, just as the first giving of the law meant something. And so, we want to talk about that. What did it mean when God poured out himself on Pentecost? Well, there were three things that we were mentioned. Wind, the violent wind, the sound of a violent wind. I, I'm not sure the wind was actually blowing, but the sound of a violent wind, fire, and languages. Now, when we, um, when we read these passages, we think to ourselves, wow, that would be strange. What if I went to church and all of those things happened? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wow. Uh, to the Jewish people, uh, they understood that when God shows up, which he did at significant times, these are the things that would happen. So they were not really surprised when these things happened. They had heard about them. They, were, they had read about them. Uh, they knew that when God shows up in his power, things like that happened. And so their question was, well, if God is showing up, what does it mean? They would have remembered that 
The breath of God was the ones that brought to life Ezekiel's visions of the dead bones. They would have remembered that fire came down from heaven and burned up the sacrifices that Elijah was making when he had his contest with the servants of Baal. And they would have remembered this very obscure story when King Saul was traveling around, he came to a town called Gibeah, and there was a, prof a procession of prophets. And Paul, uh, Saul, not, not Paul, Saul was overcome and started prophesying, speaking words, of course, speak, prophets speak words from God, speaking words from God in this ecstatic speech and ripped off his clothes and, and started marching with the prophets. And so the symbols that were given to them were clearly things that God did. So what does it mean? Well, those were the things that were the same. But there were things that were different about this manifestation of God that tells us what it means. First of all, when the Spirit came down, it seemed to come and rest on everyone. When the Spirit came down on Moses when he received the Ten Commandments, he had to go up to the mountain. The, the mountain shook. The sound, there was flashes of lightning. He was alone. This time, the Spirit of God came and rested on everyone. The Spirit of communication also rested on everyone, and everyone was enabled to speak words of praise to God in different languages. So if you look at those two cases, something is the same and the something is different. Now that's what we do in birthday parties, right? When a baby is born, we say, look at this baby. It looks just like this person. I always, I always made fun of my sister because I said, uh, you look just like grandma. And she said, well, grandma when she was young or grandma when she was old. <laughs> so she didn't really like that. So at a birthday party, you say, this new thing looks like an old thing. You know, we all come from somebody. But you also look at something and say, this looks completely different. And my sister's uh, retort was, you look just like grandpa. Well, grandpa had a nose on his face that I swore was about three inches long. We'd know grandpa was coming because his nose would come around the corner first, then he would follow. So something new, some, something old. So when we look at the Pentecost story, we should look at that too. Something is new, but something is profoundly linked to something in the past that maybe God wants to change. So something was old, the symbols, something is new. What was new? 
Well, this was not really understood until weeks and months later. Because God had shown up in power before. They, people remembered Moses went up the mountain. Mo, the, Moses, uh, the mountain shook. Moses came down. His face was glowing. Then what happened? His glow faded. Things returned to normal. In this case, Holy Spirit came, gave us these wonderful symbols, and it didn't fade. Because we read about, and of course, if you were here in the last couple weeks and remember everything, what happened in the book of, recorded in the book of Acts? Power. The power at Pentecost seemed to hang around. Peter healed a beggar, raised to life Tabitha. Peter and John stood up in front of the Sanhedrin, two simple men, and they said, wow, you're really bold. We're the elite. You're just the ordinary people, but you seem to have something Boldness, fearlessness. Paul, we haven't got to that story yet. Read chapter 9 of Acts. Traveling, a bright light came, blinded him. Changed his heart. And here's the weird one. Those of you who like Star Trek. Did you know there's an example of teleportation in the book of Acts? Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. And then, bam, he's not there anymore. He's somewhere else. It says the Spirit took him. And so we see the power of God, instead of coming and going like it had in the past, stuck around. Let's... Fast forward to the present. Has it still stuck around for us? And do we recognize that? When you got up this morning, did you say, man, I'm going to go to Emmaus Road because all kinds of weird things are going to happen today. <laughs> well, guess what? They did. But in normal Sundays, we don't have the poppers. We don't have the wind... Uh, pinwheels, and we wonder, at least something pastors wonder about, where's the power of God? The power of God was a promise that was fulfilled at Pentecost that was supposed to stay around. Where is it? Now, I think at that time, um, when you get to that place, Many churches say, well, we have to create the feeling of power, of weirdness, because that will let people know that, hey, God is really here. So let's, um, let's make them think that in our weirdness, God is here. I mean, we really hope that God is here, and we believe, and we feel it, but sometimes we put our focus on the power, and we just want things to be kind of strange and weird. And, and so uh, 
three years ago when I was on sabbatical before I retired, I decided to go to a very large church in Boulder County, and I wanted to check out what made people to go to this church. They were just flocking to the church. It had like 15,000 people. Uh, what was it about that church that made people want to go to it? So my wife and I pulled into the parking lot, and the parking lot was, was completely full. And so we found a place at the very far corner. So I pulled up, turned the car off, and I could hear, I could feel a vibration through the car windows. So the worship band was playing in the church, and they were broadcasting it out to the parking lot. And my car was just vibrating to the beat. I thought, wow, is this what the Spirit of God looks like in the modern church? So I got out, we walked to the door, and as you may have noticed, I'm hard of hearing, friends in the family. It's, I didn't really get my nose from my grandfather, I got his hard of hearingness. So I had to turn my hearing aids off. Uh, so I got, we got up to the door, we went in, and uh, we were greeted, and everyone was friendly, and we got into the sanctuary, and there's no lights. There's these spotlights that are shining down, and there's smoke coming from something. I thought, wow, this is weird. Is this what the Spirit of God looks like in the modern church? In my home church in Fairbanks, where I grew up, uh, we had a, a pastor, and he was super, super enthusiastic. I mean, he had this biggest smile. He smiled with both up, upper teeth and lower teeth at the same time. And so, I mean, it was really quite overwhelming. You couldn't help but smile back when he did that. And he, um, he was completely bald. And as a teenager, we'd sit in the back, and there was these lights that shone from the ceiling. And I swore he must have waxed his head. Because in the middle of the service, he would be talking, he would step into the light, and he just glowed. And I thought, wow, is this what the power of the Holy Spirit looks like? Do you begin to glow? When I was in the pastoring in Boulder, uh, one Sunday after the service, two of my congregants came up and said, wow, you really were, nailed it today. I even saw an aura around you. And I thought, wow. <laughs> What color was it? Because <laughs> that's a really big thing in Boulder, you know, auras and crystals and things like that. So, uh, but he would do one other thing that I want to try to demonstrate. Uh, when his sermon was falling flat, and when you couldn't follow what he was doing, he would just say, we should all get excited. And uh, we should do, and he would just do this, he would like some sort of a karate move in the service. And as a kid, you're thinking, what's going on? What's wrong with my pastor? Does he have the power of God? Well, maybe he did, but later he became a district superintendent and uh, moved away. My mom told me this one story that kind of answered my questions about the Holy Spirit and power. She said when she was in her 20s, so this would have been in the late 1940s, she went on a mission trip and they asked her to go because she played the piano and, and was very musical. And so they asked her to go and, and uh, stay and be part of this revival service. And so the, 
evangelistic team came into this small town in northern uh, Michigan, very poor, lots of poverty, drug use, uh, sort of hopelessness. And they set up a big tent with these, it's kind of like a circus tent, but they had these big poles holding it all up. And they had a front with uh, pianos and musical instruments, and they had chairs set up or benches or something. And uh, so uh, they started holding revival services. It was packed because people were hopeless. They needed some help, and they, they, found, they found the speaker who were giving them encouragement about Jesus, that, that, that uh, your problems can be solved if you put your faith in God. And so one service, this man stood up, and he was crying, and he said, I've just got to get out of this town, and um, I'm praying for a scholarship. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just need to get out of here. And if I don't do this, then look around you. I'm going to become like one of these people without jobs and into drugs and all the kind of things that accompany poverty. And so that was very exciting. Everyone gathered around and prayed. Uh, the next night, he came back. And he was glowing. I mean, not maybe not physically, but emotionally glowing. And he stood up in the service and he said, You prayed last night. When I got home and got the mail the next day, someone had given me a scholarship so I could go to school somewhere else. And he was just, he was crying. He was joyful, smiling. And he raised his hands and closed his eyes and began to run around that tent. And, you know, people were like, what is going on? This is just weird. And he ran, he avoided everything, had his eyes closed the whole time, came back to his seat and sat down, and of course everyone's praising God. And, uh, and people really felt like God had shown up. Well, the next night, another man stood up, and he said, I prayed last night too. And when I came home, this happened. Closed his eyes, raised his hand, and started racing around. Well, he got about halfway around, and for some reason, one of those tent poles just jumped in front of his way and laid him out cold, and he, he fell down. And they helped to help him back to his seat. And my mom explained it this way. God pours himself out in power, but not to those who seek power. And if you seek power, you might be able to fool some people, but you're not going to fool the Lord. It was Paul who start out his ministry in power. In fact, he even commanded a man who was counseling one of the leaders of a nearby country that he would be blind, and all of a sudden he was blind. Now, that was power. Uh, I'd like to do that along the road sometimes, like, let that car go over there. Uh, God, doesn't, God doesn't let me do that. But Paul understood that power is, in God's sight, is a little bit different than human power. Because he wrote this about his ministry. I was given a thorn in my flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Someone once wrote, Some believe that only great power can hold evil in check. But this is not what I have found. I have found that it is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. A church that only seeks power will soon burn itself out. So what do we seek that gives us the connection with God to keep on going? And this is the second part of the promise that Jesus gave specifically, and it's in John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father. You are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus is promising in this passage, not power for you, but presence. Before there can be power in your life through the Holy Spirit, there has to be presence. has to be an experience of presence. And these words that were spoken become part of our new covenant. There was an old covenant with the law and Moses on the mountain. We're supposed to obey every word of the law. The new covenant said, if you love me and keep my commands, I will love you. I will come to you. I will reveal myself to you. You will experience the Holy Spirit. So what is the complete promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, for you know him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The promise that the Holy Spirit is in your life permanently. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit gives an identity to each of us. That I'm just not Bob, a member of the Franz family. I am a member of the kingdom of God. I am a child of God. Jesus said, because I live, you will also live. Not just physical life, because we know we all have a moment when we're not going to be alive on this life anymore. 
But the Holy Spirit gives us a spiritual renewal, a spiritual rebirth. Jesus said, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. This is an expression of the deepest kind of fellowship. Mutual bringing together God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and us. And Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is the condition. Every covenant has a condition. Jesus said, whoever keeps my commands. Now, what commands is he talking about? In all of the New Testament, we only know one time when Jesus said, I give you a command. It's this. A new command I give you. Love each other in the manner that I have loved you, as I have loved you. And so Pentecost becomes the moment when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're empowered for ministry, but we're grounded in the presence of God, and we live lives of love to seal that promise to God that we receive what he has for us, and we go forth to live a life of love.